When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 31st episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Today, we are back with another author interview, this time with um, Jordana Max Brodsky. She is the author of The Immortals, which is the first book in the Olympus Bound series. If you are a fan of mythology in any way, this is definitely the book for you. But even if you're not, I highly recommend listening to this interview it may spark an interest in mythology, but also um, one of the things that Jordana talks about is the travels that she has taken in order to research her books, and it's just a really fascinating conversation. So definitely take a listen, and you may find a new book to read. Um, as always, please feel free to reach out to Adam and I. You can email us at feedback at overdrive.com. We read all of your emails. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can let us know what um, you're reading or if there's any books coming out, upcoming, that you're really looking forward to. So with that, please enjoy this interview with Jordana Max Brodsky. Hi, everyone. This is Adam from Team Overdrive, and today I am joined by Jordana Max Brodsky, author of the Olympus Bound series that began with her debut book, The Immortals. Uh, Jordana, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us today. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I like to start all of our podcasts with a brief introduction to the book that we're going to be discussing, but I'm always terrified to give away spoilers, <laughs> and I, I'm guessing you're a lot better at giving a, a quick pitch for The Immortals. So I'm going to let you tell our listeners all about your book. Awesome. So it takes place in modern Manhattan, mm -hmm. where there is a string of murders of young women, uh, and the murders all have sort of an ancient Greek cult element to them. Right. And so the woman who's going to be hunting down these killers happens to be the mythological huntress herself, the mm -hmm. Greek goddess Artemis, mm -hmm. uh, goddess of the hunt, archery, young women, etc., right. uh, who has been living in Manhattan for about 400 years. Mm -hmm. And, of course, she is joined on this quest uh, by a classics professor who mm -hmm. happens to be quite charming and funny, <laughs> and that will make the whole goddess of virginity thing a little bit more challenging. Right. So what was the research process like for this book? Well, I spent a lot of time actually in my library, the New York Public Library System, mm -hmm. which was great, yeah. especially in the main reading room with all of our amazing <laughs> research collections. Oh, such a great room. Yes, which is really a kind of an inspiring place even mm -hmm. just to write and to be able to get your hands on primary source documentation from New York history, which plays a large part in the book, mm -hmm. was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then I also went to Greece and to Rome. Uh, 
to be able to actually see the places that right. kind of gave birth to Artemis in the first place. So I, that actually leads right into my next question. What was your favorite place that you visited while you were researching? Because while I was doing some research and looking at some of the interviews you've done, yeah. I was just like seething with jealousy about all the places <laughs> that you, you visited. So what was your favorite stop? Well, I'm probably going to have a different answer in about three weeks because I'm <laughs> heading to Greece again this Saturday, actually, for about three weeks oh, wow. uh, to go back to do research uh, for book number three mm -hmm. to Greece and to Turkey. But so far, at least, uh, as for book one, I think my favorite place in Greece was Delos, mm -hmm. uh, which is the mythological birthplace of both Artemis and Apollo. Right. And it was a sacred island uh, mm -hmm. back in the ancient world. It reminds me a lot of Manhattan because mm -hmm. it's quite a small island, but it was extremely crowded. A lot of people lived there. Sure. Um, people from all over the world and many different religions. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there were temples to Artemis and Apollo and to their mother, but also there was a synagogue there. Mm -hmm. um, there were all kinds of different sacred spaces. Mm -hmm. And you weren't allowed to be born or to die on Delos. Uh, it was that sacred a place wow. for, you know, thousands of years. And even today, uh, the only people who live there are a few archaeologists. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, it's just you come on a boat mm -hmm. and you spend the day and then you have to leave right. again. And there's actually pretty well-preserved ruins. You'd be sort of surprised. Mm -hmm. um, and my favorite spot on the whole island is there's a little, they call it a mountain, but honestly, it's more of a large hill in the center <laughs> of the island called Mount Kynthos, sure. which is actually where Artemis has many names. One of them is Cynthia. So our name, Cynthia, comes from Mount Kynthos, mm -hmm. which was the mountain in the middle of Delos. And when you go up to the top of this mountain, you can see the entire island and you can actually see all of the other Greek islands of the Cyclades sure. on the horizon all around you in a circle. And it reminds you that Delos is sort of the center of the world, mm -hmm. or at least it was in the ancient time. Yeah. And that to me makes it a particularly sacred space for Artemis to call home. Now, I can totally understand being able to figure out, okay, no one can be born there. Uh -huh. It's got to be a little tricky to make sure like, okay, yeah. no one can die here. Like, but how do they... That's you know, a good question. I, have, I mean, surely that didn't always work out, this, right? Yeah. I imagine that occasionally if someone did accidentally get clubbed to death <laughs> or something, there was probably some sort of um, offering to the gods to ask for forgiveness <laughs> yeah. and maybe that everyone went about their daily sort lives. Sort of like an exception that proves the rules. Yeah, that must have been it. But there's no cemetery there. Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea was really this was supposed to be just a place for, for sacredness. But because it was such a meeting place for so many cultures, it mm -hmm. also was a great market. And I yeah. think at one point they made it like a tax-free island, mm -hmm. which is part of why it had such an amazing mercantile sort yeah. of, uh, relationship too. And it's really interesting you mentioned all the different um, kind of like almost like sanctuaries and places that people mm -hmm. can, can worship. And mm -hmm. it's really interesting to have a, a place that is solely dedicated in theory for people who are living to kind of worship people who are dead or, you mm. know, and kind of holier. That's just a really interesting, I've never heard of a place like that. That's a really interesting. Yeah, an entire island that's just dedicated to that. Yeah. Uh, so what was your writing process? Like you mentioned maybe doing a little bit of writing at the New York, New York Public Library, but yes. what is what is your writing process like when you're diving into a book? Yeah, well, so for me, um, I have to pretty much write at least sort of five days a week. Mm -hmm. And if I spend more than even just two days away from my writing, I tend to get very rusty. And then it takes me even longer to kind of get back started again. Right. Um, I know some people do wait until they sort of maybe feel inspired to mm -hmm. write, but if I were to wait, I would probably never write anything. Sure. I have to actually sit down, um, and halfway through the process or when I'm actually sitting down at the computer, that's mm -hmm. when the inspiration usually hits. Mm -hmm. And I find that when it doesn't hit, when it's just like pounding your head against the computer screen and right. you feel like, what is this crap that mm -hmm. I'm just pouring on the page? Then I have to get up and leave, but what I do is I go and walk around Central Park. I walk around the reservoir, yeah. uh, which is about a 40-minute walk, mm -hmm. and I usually start the walk saying, okay, I have a question or a problem that I can't solve. Mm -hmm. And I almost always, by the time I finish that big loop, uh, I'll have the answer by the time I get back. Mm -hmm. So. And do you, are you the type of person who kind of gets up first thing in the morning you start writing, or kind of, I've, I've had a lot yeah. of different conversations with authors who will say, like, like James Patterson said, yeah. I wake up at 5.30 in the morning <gasps> and I start writing. Exactly. And I'll have other people that'll say, like, 
oh, well, I'll have a glass of wine at night. And that's when the inspiration hits. So for you, what, oh do God, you have like so a specific funny. time? I, I have never woken up at 530 in the morning in my life <laughs> if it wasn't to catch a plane. Um, I prefer to wake up at 930 at the absolute earliest every single day. Mm-hmm. So I am not a morning person. But sure. uh, yeah, I, you know, when I was younger, it used to be I was a night owl and I'd write till four in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that is I am just way too old. So at this point, yeah, I get up, I have my tea, I, you know, do my emails, mm-hmm. and then I have to kind of sit down. And, you know, I, I work in all different places, but mm-hmm. I do often find that if I'm struggling a bit, going to the library and working there yeah. makes all the difference. Okay. And so when did you discover Greek mythology and, and start the, start realizing it was something that you kind of wanted to dive into as a part of your profession? Um well, I discovered it when I was a kid, as mm-hmm. I think so many of us do. And um, the classics professor in my book, you know, he learns about mythology probably in elementary school from Dallaire's Greek Myths, which is a great book for kids on mm-hmm. mythology. And that's how I came to Greek myths as a kid. Um, and then I think it just became that I had always had this obsession with the idea that the Greek gods were still with us. Mm-hmm. And I think it came from the very end of Dallaire's. There's a page that says something like... Um, all things must come to an end, and so did the Olympians. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of this very sad picture of just the constellations. And yeah. it says their stories are with us, but they no longer are. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, that's so lame. No, that can't <laughs> really be the end of the story. Right. And so as early as like eighth grade, I was doing, you know, building little projects with miniature gods in mm-hmm. plastic coffins and saying, no, they've been cryogenically frozen and they're <laughs> going to come back someday and they're going to come back when we need them. Right. And so clearly I've always had this idea in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once I started actually deciding, you know what, I, being a novelist is would, would give me the great joy that I have experienced my whole life as a reader mm-hmm. to be able to share that as something I want to do. And I think this story, especially of Artemis herself being mm-hmm. part of the world uh, and being a heroine for mm-hmm. all of us, uh, was always bubbling up in my mind. And it seemed like the natural thing to put down on the page. Yeah. And so with Greek and Roman mythology having such a an oral background, you know, many of the stories can be taken a lot of different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who kind of lives within these these myths daily, do you find yourself sort of cringing when Hollywood does certain <laughs> things with the with these stories, or are you more just you know, at least they're still in our culture today? Like, what are your thoughts yeah. on when you see things either in movies <laughs> or like you know TV shows on places like CW? Like, what right. are your thoughts on it? Right. Uh, you know, in general, I am a sucker, and so I, every time a new one comes up, I'm like, this one's going to be great. <laughs> and so I love the concept. I love the idea of bringing mythology to a new audience. That's sure. what I'm trying to do. I'm all for it. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that, unfortunately, some of them do sort of miss the point. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm thinking of sort of, you know, Clash of the Titans, Wrath of the Titans, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, they're a little rough. And mm-hmm. I, I think part of it is people keep trying to make these Greek stories into these big, epic action movies. Mm-hmm. And even though... That might seem like a natural fit because certainly the Iliad is a great war movie, yeah. right? Or war story. Mm-hmm. And the Odyssey is an adventure story. When the Greeks actually had visual performances, so when they had their visual entertainment, it was theater. Mm-hmm. And their plays are not these grand adventure right. war stories, right? Their plays are very intimate. They mm-hmm. usually take place over a short period of time with a relatively small cast of characters. Yeah. And they're about family and loyalty and love and revenge and extremely yeah. profoundly human emotions mm-hmm. and character development. Yeah. And so that's what I try to do in, in my book. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see like a Greek mythological version, you know, done sort of Game of Thrones style, yeah. right? where it's big enough and large enough that yes, you can have some great, big, wonderful battles and set pieces, but mm-hmm. the story is about characters and emotion. And even the gods, rather than having them as these supernatural sort of uh, personalityless figures, which mm-hmm. is how I think they've usually been portrayed, being able to bring them down to human size uh, and and get into their minds as well because they have such complicated relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me would be really exciting, and so I'm I'm waiting for it. Yeah. 
<laughs> do, do you have a favorite uh, of the uh, of like the plays of any of the? I'm a, I'm a big Medea fan. Mm-hmm. I think because it is so female centric mm-hmm. and it has such a great female anti heroine, sure. which we don't see very often. Right? You know, we have all these anti heroes now in our pop culture, but there aren't that many anti heroines, and mm-hmm. that's certainly what Medea is. Yeah. I don't want to give away the ending for anyone who hasn't read the play, <laughs> but you should read it. Uh, it's pretty great. So, so I don't think you need to worry about spoiler alerts too much for, <laughs> for ancient Greek yeah. plays. <laughs> so we've done that a lot of this podcast, where we'll be talking about like Shakespeare and yeah. the people on the podcast. We're like, oh, spoiler alert, they die. <laughs> yeah. like, I think we're in the clear. Right. Spoiler alert, she. Kills her own yeah, children. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think if people are listening to our podcast, I mean, it's called Professional Book Nerds. They're probably there you go. aware they probably of this. Um, so I've seen in your bio, speaking mm-hmm. of plays, that you're a big fan of Broadway musicals. Yes. And plays too. I want to shout out to straight plays as well. Absolutely. So, as a fellow theater nerd, yes. uh, I have to ask to favorite show? Uh, favorite old time show, like classic, would be certainly some combination of West Side Story and Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. Going back to like the great, mm-hmm. wonderful stories with, uh, great female characters as well, not to yeah. mention sort of cultural questions of identity and mm-hmm. diversity and conflict, which I find yeah. wonderful. And great scores. Let's not forget the yeah. dancing and the music. Um, and I think my most, my favorite recent Broadway musical, at least, Actually, it was the Bridges of Madison County, which mm-hmm. no one saw because it was very short lived. I don't know if you saw it. I so I didn't see it. I yeah. in Cleveland, where I'm from, we outside of New York City, we have the largest theater district in the in the country. I had no idea. So we have <laughs> uh, my wife and I have Broadway tickets. We uh-huh. go every single year. But Bridges of Madison County came like, the year before we started oh. our tickets. So I have friends who did see it, but we were not yeah. fortunate enough. So it was this show, which you know, the book, of course, is is very nice and mm-hmm. the, the movie was sort of half great and half horribly cheesy yeah. and I thought ugh this musical is going to be stupid and then we went and it's the most gloriously romantic musical I think mm-hmm. I've ever seen yeah. usually in musicals it's just kind of love at first sight which mm-hmm. every once in a while a la West Side Story kind of works yeah. and most of the time you, it just doesn't and in this it's a whole show is this development between these two characters mm-hmm. and talk about a I would call it a heart-swelling musical. I mean, yeah. it was heartbreaking. It was, you know, heart-swelling. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely in love mm-hmm. uh, with these people by yeah. the end of the, of the musical. So I recommend it to anyone who hasn't heard it. You can always get the score. Yeah, absolutely. It's Kelly O'Hara and Stephen Pasquale and it's mm-hmm. Jason Robert Brown. It is fantastic. So I have to ask, just because it's kind of in the zeitgeist and we're yeah. down the street from it, have you had a chance to see Hamilton? No, but I have it on very good authority that I have an in and I am getting tickets this August. So that's actually one of the things. There's a little rumor for the Cleveland Broadway. It's like, it's not coming in this set of plays yeah. or in this set of shows, but it's coming the next year because that's when they're going to start touring. Yeah. So we already have friends who are like, should I get tickets this year so that I can try to get them next year? And I'm like, yeah, you're, because it yeah. will sell out. I heard that's how they're doing it. It's like, if you've been a subscriber the year mm-hmm. before, then you get. Well, that's, yeah, that's how they're doing it in, um, in Chicago, because Chicago's okay. gonna, is gonna have yeah. Hamilton starting this fall. It's like, if you signed up to get the whole season, you can get your Hamilton tickets. But, yeah. um, kind of speaking of sort of along the lines of bridges, bridges of Madison County, a little yeah. bit of a sad one. Uh, Once is also oh, beautiful. beautiful show. Yes, yeah. I loved Once. Yeah, actually. that's one of my favorite. I love the movie and, and the, yes. the band as well, season that everything, they all came on. I'm digressing a lot here. No, but no, 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 I, no I, please. I my, my husband is a musical theater actor, so this is very much oh. up my, up my wheelhouse. So does he, ha- is he um, the type of person who le- 
prefers the older kind of classic musicals, or is he okay with some of the newer stuff as well? As a fan, I think he loves all of it. Mm-hmm. But as a singer, he's really a legit kind of singer. So he was in Phantom of the Opera and stuff. <sighs> so he's he really the, the rock musicals are not really performance wise something mm-hmm. he quite does. Yeah. But um, give him a nice big meaty baritone role, and mm-hmm. he's all over it. Phantom is actually going to be in Cleveland. Um, we're going to see it next week. By oh, the time there you go. Actually, well, so that's, that's a little serendipity. The, the perennial favorite. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so getting back to the whole book thing. Yes. Right, now that I've sidebarred. Uh, so Overdrive is a library company. So uh-huh. I love to ask all of our authors that we chat with, yeah. do you have a favorite or a first memory of a library from when you were growing up? Yeah. So my, I, I think my favorite moment was, I must have been either elementary or middle school, and I was doing a paper. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was middle school now that I'm saying paper. Um on Gracia Nasi, who was this um, Jewish woman uh, in sort of Renaissance-era Spain and Portugal. And Mm -hmm. she was someone who saved a whole bunch of Jews during the Inquisition. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there was no biography of this woman. I had read like a paragraph about her in my Hebrew school textbook and got excited about learning more about her. And there was no book about her in our uh, county suburban... Suburban is not a word. uh, Suburban (laughs) Suburban. library. Either way. (laughs) Um, And so I found out that, of course, there had been a book written about her and the only place we could get it was the Library of Congress. So I grew up in the D.C. suburbs in Northern Virginia. And so my parents took me to the library of Congress. Mm-hmm. And of course, anyone in the whole country can check yeah. out and not check out, like not leave the library, but right. can get access to any book mm-hmm. that's pretty much ever been published as long as you read it in that beautiful main reading room, right. which oh. I recommend to anybody who hasn't been there. Oh. Uh, it's an underappreciated, it's breath- yeah, underappreciated it's DC tourist destination. So there we were, and I got my hands on this book. It was like so cool just to send in the slip and wait for it to come up. Right. And you know, most of the books are stored underground, mm-hmm. and they have little conveyor belts and baskets that sort of <laughs> carry the books around. So imagining my book getting taken out of the stacks, appearing, you know, magically in my little young hands. Yeah. And of course, I couldn't read the whole thing there, so I read as much as I could. And my lovely parents uh, then took it and Xeroxed every single page of that book for me on the copier so I could take it home oh, again. Wow. Uh, this is before the internet. So yeah. the only way you could get this book was to go to the Library of Congress. That is amazing. So I have to say, I'm yeah. usually, I, I feel very fortunate growing up in Cleveland. At, Ohio has amazing library systems. So I've grown up with Cuyahoga County Public Library System mm-hmm. and, and Cleveland Public Library and all these like nationally rated library systems. Yeah. But you grew up in the D.C. area, and now you're living in New York. Mm -hmm. So you have had access to two unbelievable library systems your whole life. Yes. And unfortunately, the New York libraries, the branch libraries, which I love to work in, and they're Mm -hmm. very wonderful places, don't have that many books. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, half the books that are supposed to be there are always missing or lost or stolen. But that's why our research library, our main reading room, it's a pain that you can't take the books out, but mm-hmm. it means they're all always there. And so it's great that you can go there and get access to them. And so when you were growing up, what were some of the books that made you fall in love with reading and writing? I was certainly a historical fiction and fantasy fan, perhaps no surprise. Mm-hmm. That has never really stopped. Right. Um, and I think my favorite book as a kid actually was The Witch of Blackbird Pond, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that one. I'm familiar with the title. Yeah, I read you it, should read it. It's wonderful. Yeah. And it's about um, a, a kind of headstrong young woman who comes to Puritan Connecticut mm-hmm. And clashes, right, with the traditional Puritan uh, ideologies. Yeah. So I guess I've always had this interest in women who sort of buck the trend mm-hmm. and buck the patriarchy. Yeah, and it started there. Perfect. All right. I have uh, what I like to call the nerd nine. I like to kind of do this at the end of some of our podcasts. Uh-huh. I have nine kind of rapid fire questions for you. So okay. no, no overthinking them. Just right. because your head. Uh, what's the last book that you read? Oh my God. I read a Star Wars novel called Bloodlines. Nice. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite place to read? Oh, in bed. Guilty pleasure. Mine would be like um, 
spending way too much time on Instagram looking at puppies. Oh, Vampire Diaries, the TV show. My wife and you would get along <laughs> very well. Uh, one place that you would love to travel that you haven't been to, we kind of talked about this earlier. Oh, uh, probably Switzerland. Favorite holiday? Uh, Passover. Favorite movie? Well, besides all of the Star Wars movies? Bes- um, <laughs> sure, besides all the Star besides Wars movies. Besides all the Star Wars movies. Um, Strictly Ballroom. Okay. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite food? Uh, pasta. If you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick? Uh, Michael Shaven. You did not struggle with those at all. <laughs> that was fantastic. All right. Um, so now I just I want to give you kind of a chance to maybe shout out some of your favorite authors and, and books. What are some of the books that you've been reading or authors that um, that you really like that you want the world to kind of know about? Oh, uh, well, I've been loving the whole Brandon Sanderson, his recent Stormlight Archive mm-hmm. series, which is very long, but is so far um, just an amazing example of world building. It's yes. kind of awe-inspiring. So I'm definitely enjoying that. Absolutely. Um, anyone who's interested in mythology, I would recommend Song of Achilles, which is a fantastic retelling of essentially Achilles' whole story up through the Trojan War, but from Patroclus's point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a great gay love story, and I adore it. Yeah. Um, so those are two of my more recent favorites. Okay. Um, and so The Immortals is available now. People can borrow it from mm-hmm. the libraries. They can go purchase it anywhere that books are, are available. When does the sequel come out? Winter of the Gods comes out on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2017. Wonderful. But it's already done, so. Perfect. So you have all the hard parts out of now. It's just yes. promoting it for you. You don't have to, although you're well, jumping no, into the third one. Yes, I'm, so. I'm waist deep in book three. So. Yeah. Um, and do you envision not to give anything away from the, for, do you envision it being a trilogy or do you envision it kind of? Yeah, I think it is going to be a trilogy, but I do think there is room for sort of a sequel series sure. if, if I get so inspired. Absolutely. All right. And then last question. Yeah. What do you hope people take away from reading your books? For those who already like pathology, I certainly hope that this gives them an even deeper insight and Mm -hmm. kind of lets them play around in a world that they love. For Mm -hmm. those who haven't been exposed to mythology, I think this is a really easy entrance to that because it's also a murder mystery. It's also, you know, many other things. Uh, There's a romance, et cetera. Uh, And then I also hope there's this wonderful, strong female heroine who kind of kicks butt. Mm -hmm. And as a fan of sort of comic book action movies, I'm always depressed there aren't more female superheroes out there. Uh, And this is a novel about one who is both um, in some ways super powerful, but in many ways profoundly human and has a lot of frailties. Mm -hmm. And so I I hope that people enjoy that too. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking some time and chatting with us Thank you for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.